When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. It's a long way from Jamaica. That's what Bob Marley thinks as he looks around. No beaches, no warm breeze, no melodies, no bass lines rumbling, no bandmates, no ganja. He looks around at the walls of this clinic, right down south in Germany. He looks out the window at the snow piled up on the lawn, heavy on the pine trees. He looks at the mountains and the grey sky, and then down at his legs, skinny and weak. He looks at his arms, thin and scrawny, at his fingers, too tired to squeeze a cord on his guitar, at his hands, pale hands, spotty, old man hands. It's December 1980, deep winter in Bavaria, and this kid from Kingston, a man who's taken a little island's music to the world, can't recognize himself. It's called the Sunshine House Cancer Clinic, this place, run by a weird old German doctor in his 60s, a man who was a Nazi party member back in the war, in the SS if you listen to rumors. Sunshine? Not here. You only come to stay if you've got nowhere else to go. If all the other doctors are saying, I'm sorry. It's too late. 36 years old, and it's too late for Bob. He's pretty sure. No one's telling him anything different. That toe of his on his right foot, the one that's always wrong, cut open, infected. The one they said had to come off three years back, but he said no. That's where it started, his cancer. And it's fast, it's gone everywhere. His lungs, his neck, his brain. Everyone's got a theory. He's been poisoned. It's the lead bullet in his arm from the time he was shot up. It's secret killer rays in hotel rooms. Babylon taking revenge on the Rastaman. It's the CIA taking out another imaginary threat. Maybe it doesn't matter now. He's tried radiation treatment, hasn't worked. Tried just carrying on until he collapsed. So now he's here in the snow, freezing cold, shivering, can't sing, can't play. Those dreadlocks, his beautiful hair, fallen out, gone. 
He's wisps and a couple of curls. He's half a man. He looks in the mirror and thinks, I'm Frankenstein. This doctor only takes on incurable cases, two hours of treatment a day, of strange injections, homeopathic stuff, vitamins, positive thinking. Forgive those around you, says the old Nazi officer, and all will be better. And so these are the last days of Bob Marley, lying in bed, reduced, disappearing, watching VHS tapes of old football matches, remembering the games he played, the tunes he wrote, the places he's been. When you come to the end, you think back to the beginning. You think to what made you and what you made. Staring out at the snow, a long way from Jamaica, thinking, this was me. This is where I came from. This is what I saw. It's a different world when he's a kid. High up in the mountains, the northern side of Jamaica, far from the city and the hot streets and the danger. It's cool up here in Nine Mile. Rain sometimes, but warm rain. Dark earth and rich smells and colour everywhere you look. Not many people because there's not much to do. Grow your crops, work someone else's. No electricity or running water, just a generator on a Sunday to bring light and noise to the little village. Radio sparking up, the music coming out of Kingston and drifting across the sea from Miami and the big cities far away. Bob's like the other kids, running about, playing games, helping out. He's different too. His dad, a white man, works for the government, old enough to be retiring. He comes to Nine Mile on his horse, writes his report, sleeps with a 17-year-old local girl. When she's pregnant, they marry. Mr. Marley gives his surname, a ring, and then rides out of town the very next day. So little Robert Nestor, they call him, that's his real first name, plays barefoot games in the fields and forests and comes to know two things. The first, his skin is light, not like the kids around him. The second, his dad doesn't want him. Doesn't come back, doesn't send money. He plays with his uncle, runs errands. Word comes from Kingston, from his father's brother. You can come get educated. So he goes, except his dad's not there. Instead, Robert's put to work for an old woman in a hard part of town, doing all her jobs, getting fed for it. Not much school. And so the boy asks questions. Where do I belong? Who wants me? 
Why don't my mother come look for me? She does in the end. When a friend of her says, I saw your boy in the streets, no father around. So she brings him back to Nine Mile, but the doubt is always there now. The shyness. He chops wood, feeds his uncle's pigs, looks after the cows and donkeys, usually on his own, in his own head. Like there's always something on his mind. He walks the two and a half miles to school, and he's never late, but it's like he's lost too. He hates getting things wrong, hates putting his hand up in class. He's a watcher, this kid looking around, figuring things out, how all this works, who has the power, who stands up, who hides. You don't have much out here in the mountains. People are heading to the city for work and money. Jamaica's ready for independence. Everything old is disappearing. Everyone's pushing and dreaming, hoping for a chance of something else. And his mum will go too, moving him on again. But there's two things that happen first. These are the things he thinks of again in the snow and cold of southern Germany. It's his granddad making a mashup guitar out of the big empty sardine can and a stick of bamboo, showing him how to string it, where to find the notes. And it's the stream where he plays, the water coming down the mountainside, rocks and broken wood tumbling and sticking up. That's where he cuts his foot, where it goes septic, nearly gangrenous. It's never the same, that big toe on his right foot, always black after that day, like the blood's not getting to it, like it's fading away, like it's dying. It's cold in Germany, so cold. The lights dim and you lie there at night and it's quiet. Like the snow muffles everything, like the world is falling asleep. Kingston? Kingston's alive. When he gets there with his mum, It's hot and humid, rough and tough. This is Trenchtown, the poor part, the government yards. New concrete blocks and hope and dreams, but no sewage and not enough jobs. Bob sits around in the yards, watches, tries to figure it out, feels kind of lost again. The country kid in the ghetto, the boy without a dad, the one with the pale skin. But you hear music in those yards. Homemade guitars, old drums, peers singing harmonies on street corners, jazz on the radio, US stations blowing across the Caribbean, early Motown, blues. It doesn't make sense to Robert. Not until he's sitting out with his mates, Bunny and Pete, smoking weed. Then it comes alive, the rhythm and the space between the beats. 
the bass lines and the melodies. They're night owls, these three teenage friends, sitting out with an oil lamp, going through a teach yourself guitar book, working out chords, fingertips soft. You get hungry, you pick up fried dumplings from the all night store. You hang out in the cemetery, spooky but quiet. The ghosts are friendly. <laughs> you grow up fast in Trenchtown. Robert is Bob now, and he's only five foot four, but he thinks he's a man at 16. He gets a girl pregnant, becomes a dad himself, doesn't hang around. He buys a guitar with Bunny and Pete, practices all night, borrows tunes off the radio and tricks off the older lads. Everything old is disappearing. Everyone's pushing and dreaming, hoping for a chance. His mom hears about a job in the US, looks at her boy and says goodbye again. He thinks he's a man, but he's still a boy. Doesn't have anywhere to go, so sleeps around the house of a guy who runs a soup kitchen and writes songs on the side. His bed's a card table. He can't use it till the card games are finished. So he wanders the streets and sits in the yards playing, practicing. For food, there's fish off the beach and mangoes and ackee in the trees. There's scrap metal to steal and to sell. Everyone's making music. The big sound systems are coming out. 15, 20 wooden speakers strapped together, playing tunes. DJs run them. And men with knives guard them. Fight for space, for money. DJs need tunes, so Bob and Bunny and Pete go into a little studio, get the producer to record them. That's the first hit, the start of it all. A yellow cover, three boys on the front, short hair, suits, smiles, Bob in the middle, being held back by the other two like he wants to jump out the photo and hug you. Simmer down, that's what it's called. Street kids singing about street moves, about the rough and tough yards, about rude boys. In the clinic in Germany, 20 years on, Bob remembers and Bob looks back at that first record deal. Five years, 20 pounds per record. How he sleeps in the studio on an old wooden door laid down on some bricks. How he sometimes wakes up feeling a weight on his chest, like someone's pushing down on him, like a duppy, a ghost, squeezing the breath out of him. How he wants to escape this city life, this loneliness. You can know you're dying and still not imagine being dead. You can see the end and pretend it's not coming, pretend it's all okay forever. But Bob knows. Bob has seen it coming before. By the mid-1970s, he's made his name, made some wealth. He still reads the Bible, but it's the Rasta vibe he's finding in it now. It's Ja 
and Babylon and Eilis Selassie he's preaching. His dreads are longer, the spliffs fatter. He's moving on, but Jamaica is stuck. Two political parties, one left wing, one right wing. Sound systems taking their messages to the people, those men with knives, now with guns. America's involved. The CIA know what happened in Cuba. Another Caribbean island going socialist? That's the fear. It's panic. That's reason to get involved. Smuggling in guns, taking sides, taking a stake. It's getting bad ahead of the election. Guns on the streets, men dying, electricity cuts, empty shelves in the shops. Marley's the one both parties want. His endorsement, his clout. He agrees to a peace concept. They call it Smile Jamaica. Seems legit. Then the election date gets shifted forward and suddenly it's like he's taking sides. Like he's backing one politician, one set of gunmen. He's in a big house on Hope Road now, right in the middle of Kingston. Everyone in town knows it. A two-storey wooden building, whitewashed walls, red zinc roof. You can hang out there if you've got a story. You're raster, you're poor. You can come talk, sit under the mango tree, play tunes, pay respect. The concert comes closer and serious men start coming by. Men with warnings, with shaking heads. Messages for the most famous man in town. Me hope you know where you do dread. That's what they say. This one morning, the guard on the gate's gone. Marley's wife is driving out, sees a car racing the other way. Four men in the car, all with guns. Bob's in the rehearsal room, walks into the kitchen next door for a drink, starts peeling a grapefruit. It's cool in there, open doors, both ends and he hears something as his manager comes in too and he looks up and sees three men just as they open fire. How doesn't he die? That's what he asks himself afterwards. Guns banging, bullets flying, four hitting the manager in the groin, in the leg, one skimming Bob's chest, hitting his arm. The manager falling on top of him, screams and blood and chaos. His wife's attacked too. Five shots through the rear window of the car, another through the door, one through the windscreen. She plays dead. The gunmen drive off, all screeching tires and shouts. And everyone runs into the kitchen and it's just blood on the floor and bits of grapefruit. And then a voice from the next room, Bob's voice. It's all right, we're still there. 56 bullets. That's how many are fired at him. Only one hits and that one stays. Doctors say, we dig that out your arm, you might lose the use of your fingers. He runs that day, 
up to the mountains, away from the yards and guns. But he comes back for the concert and he plays in front of 80,000 people. And when he does, he pulls up his sleeve, shows the bullet wounds and says, bang, bang, I'm okay. So the stories swirl that it's a CIA assassination, that it's the other side trying to create a martyr. Two years on, says one story, Bob and his manager get taken out to the bush. There's three of the shooters there, tied up. They confess it all. We were trained by the CIA. They gave us cocaine and guns. They hang two of them. The third man, they kneel him down and give Marley the gun. He shakes his head and someone else fires the bullet. That's Jamaica. That's this beautiful island of beaches and warm breeze of melodies and bass lines. The food's different here in southern Germany. Bob misses the fresh juices of home. He misses the plantain tarts, orders a crate to be sent from Kingston, wonders if it'll arrive in time. He's in Exodus now. That's what he's thinking. Out in Babylon, far from Zion. And he thinks back to those other times he had to leave, when he found himself in a cold country, in the snow and the rain. It was London then. That's where he goes after his shots. It's safe. Other Jamaicans there. Gigs he can play. Studios he can use. He's been there before. Part of his new record label's idea of how to push him on. How to take him to a white audience who know about rock, not reggae. The record label boss wants to sweeten the sound. Sell it as rebel music. But add rock guitars. Ease off that bass line a little. A white journalist is introduced to him, comes away saying Bob is Marvin Gaye or Bob Dylan or maybe both. London is different. He stays in Hammersmith, eats from the curry house next door every night. Plays weird venues for a kid from Nine Mile, Dunstable, Bingley, Bexley Heath. But he sees the reaction from the black kids in the front rows and the white rock kids in the seats, and he starts to settle. It's changing this wet, serious city. Kids with spiky hair and safety pins through their noses, punk sounds, punk anger, outsider music like his. Punk musicians come to his gigs. They start working reggae into their sound. He goes to watch The Clash, writes a song about them and the jam. He gets a place in Chelsea, jogs over Albert Bridge each morning to play football in Battersea Park. Has a cup of tea, eats two oranges, pulls on his Adidas tracksuit or Brazil football top tucks his dreads into a red, green and black knitted hat and plays. 
London is Babylon. It's the wealth taken from Jamaica. It's the old colonial power. He's driving round in his Ford Cortina when he's stopped by the police. They find his ganja and he ends up in court. The magistrate comes out with this classic magistrate line. I know this is almost legal in your country, but as you know, it is not legal in this country. London is Babylon, but it's also fun. He's still married and his wife is in his backing group. One of the three singers, but Bob always plays. There's Miss World, a white Jamaican. There's the Caribbean table tennis champion. There's the daughter of the new president of Gabon. That's how you end up having 13 children by eight different women. That kind of reach. He's disciplined too. The band is tight. He tries to write a song a day, then selects the best 15 to take into the studio in Hammersmith. It's pop in places, this new album. Smooth, polished, cute sometimes. Three little birds, waiting in vain. But it's angry too. Real. The first side, it's about the shooting. He pours in that pain and shock and righteous fury. He writes a lyric for one song. He who lived to fight and run away, lived to fight another day. That's Bob in London, in Exodus. He's 18 months away from Jamaica that time, in the cold and rain, in another man's city. And now he's in Exodus again, three years later, here in the snow, with the pine trees and mountains and strange German doctor and his strange injections. And he thinks about the days when he didn't know, when the worry was what curry to eat, whether the transit van was going to make it to the next gig about the girls and the punk kids coming around to the house to learn new rhythms, bringing their weak weed as an offering, playing tunes, paying homage. Those were the good times. We'll talk more about the bad ones after this short break. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. 
All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. It's on tour. When Bob Marley starts feeling ill and tired, losing weight, no energy for football, can't hold his food down. This should be the peak. It's 1980, a new decade, and he's going to be the star. All that marketing to rock fans, to white kids, all that connecting to the black kids who went to strange cold cities for work, who went as kids with their mums and dads. It's worked. There'll come a time when they stick out a Greatest Hits album, call it Legend, and it will sell 20 million copies. Insane numbers. For now, it's about the live shows. In six weeks, he's going to play to more than a million fans in 12 different countries. 100,000 in the San Siro Stadium in Milan. 80,000 in South London. Everywhere you look, it's recession, rubbish piling up in the streets, millions out of work. It's governments fighting and left versus right. It's the West and the East. And greed is good. Bob? Bob's singing about one world, one love, about getting together, feeling all right. And so his gigs aren't just about the music, they're like religion, they're a conversion if you're new to it. Like coming home if you've been listening to those albums, those single cuts. Bob on stage is mystical. He's lost in the music, but he's pulling you with him too, bouncing from one foot to the other, guitar strapped high on his chest, pale blue denim jacket, dreads flailing about. His eyes are shut when he's singing, like he's praying, like he's preaching. People are crying in the audience, singing along. Clouds of weed smoke. He always finishes with a new tune, a simple one. Him and an acoustic guitar. Redemption song. We're beyond reggae now. A new sound, an old feeling. They go to the States, play more gigs. They're at Madison Square Garden supporting the Commodores. People leave before Lionel Richie even comes on. 
But Bob can't stay awake and he can't get out of bed. He can't keep the weight on him. Okay, let's have a morning run. Cup of tea and two oranges. Get into Central Park among the trees and the green, the quiet corners. He starts to run and it's like someone has hit him in the back. He's down in the grass, face in the wet earth. Can't move, can't speak. He gets rushed to hospital. They say a lot of things, diagnoses and long words and serious faces. All that anyone hears is, it's too late. It's his toe. That's where the trouble began. A melanoma. The infection as a kid. Another accident playing football. Someone studs slicing it up. The times he's bouncing around on stage and he comes off and his boot is filled with blood. He sort of knew when he was in London he'd gone to Harley Street. A doctor had told him You need to amputate this. But Rastas don't do that. He cleans it up and carries on. And now he's far from home and he can't make sense of it all. He calls his mother, still in the States after all these years. He says, I never do nobody no evil. Why would Jack give me cancer? And so these are the last days of Bob Marley. The Sunshine House Cancer Clinic in the snow, in the deep midwinter. You only come stay if you've got nowhere else to go. It seemed okay at the start. Walks in the mountains, the air sharp in your lungs but clean, pure. This doctor looks like a doctor. 63 years old, receding hair swept back, serious look, black rimmed glasses, white lab coat. He's full of certainty. Cancer is caused by a weakening of the immune system. Eat right, take exercise, take vitamins. Get cold, get warm again, get the blood flowing. Other people they're not so sure. The local medical council have charged him with fraud and manslaughter. He goes to court, fights for four years, gets the convictions overturned. But there are words that keep coming back. Ineffective, dubious. There are stories from the past that won't go away about what happened when he was a doctor in the Nazi concentration camps about the experiments that went on. Bob sits there in his room under the dark eaves and he knows. He can feel it inside, see it in his skinny arms and legs, in the face looking back at him in the mirror, in the little wisps of hair on the bedroom floor. His mum is there now, She thinks back to Nine Mile, to the government yards. She thinks he's shaking like a coconut leaf in the wind. You know you're dying. 
Bob has seen it coming before, recognizes it, can't fight it, not anymore. So he makes one more decision. I'm not dying here. I gotta feel the breeze, see the beaches. I got to hear the melodies and the bass lines. The plantain tarts, they haven't arrived, no time to wait. His mum charters a plane. He jokes, don't get one of them ones with propellers. We need a jet now. He's six stone when they carry him out through the snow, into a car, slowly to the airport. Holding on, thinking of home, starting to slip when they're up in the air, when Kingston is still three hours away. The plane diverting to Florida, a new hospital, knowing they're not going to make it. His last day in a foreign land, his last night. A long way from Jamaica, thinking, this was me. This is where I came from. This is what I saw. This episode was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we read books and watched films including No Woman No Cry by Rita Marley, Bob Marley The Untold Story by Chris Selwich, Catch a Fire by Timothy White, Exodus, edited by Richard Williams, Marley, the film from Kevin MacDonald, and the BBC documentary, When Marley Came to Britain. The music we use is from BMG Production Music. But if you want to hear some primetime Bob, go early with Concrete Jungle, when it's him and the original Wailers. Listen to Exodus because of the shooting and living away, and definitely Redemption Song for Bob Marley at the end and where he was going. And if you want another podcast to listen to, check out Death of a Sports Star. Each episode is about the lives of sports people taken far too young. Bob likes his football. And if you're a fan, then check out our episode about Justin Fashionu. Just search for Death of a Sports Star in your podcast app. There'll be another Rockstar episode next Thursday. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, 
And my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.